This is WCN. The Whole Care Network. You talk. We listen. Content presented on the following podcast is for information purposes only. Views and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent views of the Whole Care Network. Always consult your physician for medical and fitness advice, and always consult your attorney for legal advice. And thank you for listening to the Whole Care Network. I think there's a lot to that statement of getting to go through this yourself, your own grief, your own ways to survive. The one thing I said as a parent was, I'm not going to let you... I'm not going to let you fall. Hello, and welcome to the first actual kickoff episode of my podcast, Gratitude to Latitude. These are the stories of gratitude, resilience, and hope. Hosting a podcast has been a dream of mine for years, and I would like to take a moment to thank all of the amazing people who have helped me to arrive at this spot. I've been fortunate to learn from the best, and I hope to make them proud. With that, let's get right into why we are here. We're here to explore the most powerful experience, the human experience, and to celebrate the heroes who consistently demonstrate gratitude and success when most of us, quite frankly, would have given up. I've always been fascinated by stories of resilience. As you probably know, I was widowed at a young age and had to build my personal resilience and learn how to appreciate gratitude and the things that I had in my life. I'm drawn to people who lead by example, And now I get to learn from them each week through this podcast. It's clear that I am the cumulative result of the incredible people who I call family, friends, and colleagues. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with a dear friend, Peter Richard Hall. Welcome to the Gratitude to Latitude podcast, Pete, and thank you for being an important part of my special day. Thank you, Julie. It's great to be here. Well, I have to tell you and be quite honest that this is a dream come true. And it's really emotional for me when I look back at our friendship and how we met so many years ago. You're an old friend. And I say that uh, with a smile on my (laughs) face. We are old (laughs) at this point. No way around it. (laughs) That is so true. We met when we were really young and I am grateful. I was grateful then for your friendship. I'm grateful now. And I believe that you came into my life at a very important time when I needed you. And I want to just go back to that time and ask you if you remember when we met. I sure I do. Well, I believe our daughters were classmates. They were in kindergarten. And because of their first names, Elena and Alina, 
<laughs> they were most likely seated next to each other in the alphabet. And we became friends through them, through Playdate. Yeah. Playdates. And I think the first time we met was actually a, a field trip, I guess you'd say. They were on at a, park, a nearby park that the parents were invited to. Really? To be outside with the kids while they did whatever they were doing that day. I don't remember. A little nature hike or I don't know. But I remember being among the parents with you at that. And that turned into the play dates, the girls, you know, wanting to be together outside of that. So I personally was going through a very difficult time. And that was about 1997 because Alina and Alina would have been five. So kindergarten age. And my husband, he was two years into his ALS diagnosis. And ALS is a terminal illness. And I was a young mom and a young wife. And you were a light from that moment on. And I'm so grateful that we met because I think I needed, I know I needed your presence in my life, especially then. That's so kind of you to say. Thank you. And I'll, I'll tell you why. And, and then maybe you can answer a few questions regarding that. Of course. So I don't know. There are certain people in this world who bring comfort, who, who bring us the feeling of being safe, and who also seem to have this wisdom that we crave. And immediately, I mean, just immediately, I recognize that in you. Has that always been something that people have mentioned about you? Wow, uh, that's so flattering. Thank you. Uh, has it always been that way? I think maybe to a degree, that's kind of, been a theme, a thread throughout my life, I guess. Yeah. Obviously, at different ages, that would be at different levels, of course. But by the time we met, we had both had some, I don't know what you'd call it, some extreme uh, life experiences already. And having uh, sort of a mindset to give people hope, to not let people give up or to, to stay positive and that kind of thing has always sort of been my way. And it's not, I'm not sure I deserve credit for that, but at the same time, I guess that is the truth about how I have been, how I've lived even as a young kid and different, in different ways you know, throughout life. Well, I've always recognized that in you. Do you recall something that happened when you were a young child? that made you recognize that in yourself and the possibility of being there for others? Oh, yeah. There's probably way too many to bore you with. I think um, I never I never felt like a leader, I guess, throughout my like school-age years and then college years. I was lucky enough to have some amazing friends, and you become kind of a part, a part of it. I always say a tribe. And throughout my life, the tribes that I've been involved with have been, I've been lucky to have such influences. And I never really felt like a leader, but I do, I do feel like I, I could help someone 
at any given moment. And I, I never, I never seek this out. It just happens to uh, show up for you at, at the right times. And if you're kind of already in that mindset where you, you want to help, it doesn't mean you can help, but you can be that way. And I think that kind of speaks more to how I felt than saying that I felt like a leader or I was leading. I think that is a result. And I think leadership is given to you. It's not something you can, you can't contrive. You cannot say or try to go find a way to be a leader and then expect to have it happen that way because that's not how it works. It is something that's given to you. Everyone leads somebody. At, at any given moment, there's no question. So, and I mean that quite literally, every single person at some point, it leads someone else. It's just uh, the way life goes. There's a thing, if you study this literally, like I, like I have, particularly in my military career, you, you study leadership, of course, but also authority. And one of the things that I really like, and I've taught this for many years, is there's a thing called referent authority. And referent authority is that authority which someone else gives you. It's not something, you know, you have legal authorities and you're a lawyer and you have certain legal authorities and whatnot. But the authority you give someone else is called referent authority. And I think that's really, if there's anything that you could describe me as, and it would be that. It's, I don't, I've never sought to be a leader other than becoming an officer in the United States Air Force. I guess you could say that I was seeking to be a leader. But the mindset is quite different because we're taught from a very young age. I mean, I mean, military leaders are taught from a very young age when you study this, that a good leader is a good follower first. Mm, in order to learn how to lead. Yeah, I think perhaps wow. that's also another way to I hesitate. If you're going to describe me, <laughs> I guess that would be more accurate to say that I just wanted to be a good follower. And if that has turned me into a good leader and then you have people who look up to you and look to you, the result would be, I guess that makes you a leader. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I'm definitely going to be to the chase. You are a leader. You're also humble. And I think that is what makes a great leader and which you just eloquently explained. And you also mentioned that you have served our country. So I want to get to the meat of this program, which is about stories of resilience and hope. And there are so many people, especially in today's climate, who are searching. They are searching. They are trying to find ways to go on. They're frightened. They're sad. They're worried. And the meat of this program is to hopefully shed some light on how others have been able to find their ways. So Pete, we're getting to you know the meat of this program and that's really to share our experiences, the human experience to guide and hopefully inspire others who feel, especially in today's climate, fear, worry, hopelessness, grief. And so with that, I would like to ask you this question. And, and that is, you know, is there something that has happened? You mentioned your military life or your personal life that was an experience 
of something that you had to uh, overcome yet you never thought possible? Boy. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had an hour of sleep for all of them. I'm a combat veteran, 22 years, and uh, there's plenty of stories there. I think we can all probably go on YouTube and find thousands of them. I was also, I also survived an explosion where 60% of my body is burned and still is. That was one we can get into. And uh, probably the biggest, by far the most, is still a survival situation for me right now, is I lost my oldest son to suicide. And he was 16 years old. I think in spite of all of those other stories, there's nothing that can compare to something you said i think something i've had to overcome i never thought possible <laughs> i think that is an ongoing thing for me and uh, as a parent i'm not the only one i have other kids that i still hope you know that they i'm not sure the overcome is the right word but they can survive they can thrive even though they don't have their brother anymore i need to pause there because you just said what would be any parent's worst nightmare to lose a child? And so we really need to just pause for a second and recognize the enormity of what you just stated. And I had the pleasure of knowing Aaron, your son. And yeah. I don't know if you know this, but recently because of the Queen's Gambit, I brushed off my late husband, Kevin's chess set and began playing again. And all of the m memories of Kevin and Aaron playing chess in our house in Burlington yes, came flooding back. And so Aaron was an amazing young man. And I, I believe that I'm speaking for all of us who are listening that no one would want to have to face that challenge or even understand how to and, and we use the word overcome very loosely, how to go on after such a loss. How did you proceed? How do you proceed when there's something that painful that happens to you and your family? Well, I don't think I have the answer to how I can tell you what I did. I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure how I survived and I don't still know if you ask me to write down a list of things of what you should do or what I did, um, I'm not sure I'd be able to remember it all because it, it, the closer it was to losing him, you know, immediately, obviously, the more intense it was. So what we did in the first days was clearly just survive. Really, it was, I think, uh, I probably didn't eat and didn't sleep probably. And of course I hadn't slept for some time before that, but another story there. What I taught my kids, my other two kids, survivors, that we each get to go through this our own way. Mm -hmm. and, and you don't have to worry about how it's going for you. What's important is that we stay together and that they know, or that you know, I was talking to them, that you always have me. Mm -hmm. So what happens then, you know, they were young. They were 12 and 14 at that time. Now they're, you know, in their late 20s. But I, I guess that's a very big thing. I think there's a lot to that statement of 
getting to go through this yourself, your own grief, your own ways to survive. The one thing I said as a parent was, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let you fall, but you get to go through this your own way. You know, at the same time, if they went down that uh, slippery slope of anything, any of the things kids can get in trouble with in those years, you know, I'd be there and they didn't have to, they didn't have to worry about being alone or that this was some, it's not that they were alone going through it, but they got to go through it their own way. I I love that. And I, I recognize that as grief is a very individualized experience. (laughs) And respectfully, we have to honor how individuals grieve. Simultaneously, you're saying that there's unconditional love and support. And that is such a beautiful combination. Acceptance of, you know, I, we, I hear in, in my work with families who are battling ALS and at Hope Loves Company, I hear all of the time that, and even myself personally, I was widowed at the age of 35. And I remember vividly being at Kevin's funeral and a woman coming up to me and saying, you know, you're young, you'll marry again. And so this is something that many of us don't talk about and maybe aren't comfortable or, you know, how to approach others who are grieving. So I really appreciate, mm-hmm. especially the fact that we're saying, you know, grief is a very personalized thing. And the best we can give to those who are grieving is unconditional love and support. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're, well, you're very welcome. So I know, as I stated, first of all, that when we talk about something as huge as suicide, and young adults, would you mind sharing a resource that maybe if there's someone out there, a parent or someone that you found helpful in your own experience with your family, just for our listeners? Back then, I looked at several resources for specifically suicide survivors is what they're called. Okay. I'm called. And I honestly, and this goes back to that statement of everybody goes through this their own way. I did participate. I did get involved and try to get into some sort of, like you said, some source. But as it turns out, group meetings and what's the word? Not therapy, but but not therapy, but like support groups. Mm -hmm. It turns out that just wasn't for me. I found, and if you're out there and you have experienced the same thing, I found that those support groups ended up being for me, at least my experience was that you get a group of 10 or 12 suicide survivors in a room and it turns out to be that there's one or two that need to just keep talking about their situation. And that's okay. Again, that's what they needed. But as far as what the other 10 or 12 people in the room are receiving from that support group, it turns out that had a very little effect as far as I could see. So I didn't do a lot more of it. I did try most everything. <laughs> but as it turned out, the biggest thing to me was my family and still is. And I can't really even begin. In fact, I probably don't know. I'm not aware of how much they gave me mm-hmm. during those times. I, I can remember much, but I'm sure there's way more than I can remember. And, and that includes not only 
losing Aaron, but also the accident where I was hurt so bad and same story with family and close friends, both. So I personally remember getting both calls. And I think both calls happened in the middle of the night. The call about the loss of Aaron and then the call about your accident, which again, this is this is a subject that most people don't want to talk about, but also don't know a lot about. And as you're sitting there, I know because I'm your friend, what it means to have burns over 70% of your body. And, you know, how, again, how do we find ways to go on after these challenges? How do we find resilience? Because a lot of people, it's the new year. They'll say, you know, I want to build resilience. I want to be a better listener. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better this. And then a month in, nothing has changed. What advice do you give, and maybe not even advice, but just guidance or something that you've done to to keep on the path? Well, when I engage with someone personally, you know, one on one or in a, you know, in front of someone face to face, or even you know nowadays even on Zoom or or whatever sort of avenue there is. So many avenues. What would I do? Listen. Listen with every part of you. Listen to everything. This person is communicating, whether it's nonverbal or not. Listen. Just giving that. I think people run over that. I think our world is, the noise is too loud. The volume is up too high for people to remember that that's a gift. When I, I think I put it this way when I teach this. How do you feel? When you know that somebody just heard what you said, really heard you, how does that feel for you? That's a gift. And I think it gets, it gets run over today a little bit too often. Like I said, the volume is up too loud. The noise is too loud. The science world and technology stuff I've worked with, you, you pull that signal out of the grass. There's all this noise. There's all this gray noise. There's a signal in there somewhere. Uh, you got to get that noise level down to have that signal come out. If you give that to someone, if you give them the time and the effort to let them know that there is no noise right now, there's just what you're trying to tell me. I think that's a tremendous gift. I think that, and of course, the consistency of that is what really will end up helping someone that you are consistently giving that or listening. The definition, I love this because I teach this all the time. The definition of integrity is consistency of character. And Say I that again. <laughs> Say that again. The, for defi- us. the definition of integrity, I believe, one of the definitions of integrity is consistency of character. So in this example I was talking about there, the uh, listening, the consistency of that is what's going to help somebody. They're going to feel the foundation that that's there. And even when you're not there, I think that's a big thing to help somebody with. I agree. I think it's so powerful. And perhaps listening is one, there's a reason why it's so hard to do. We, yeah. As you said, we are so distracted. And 
There's so much going on in our world that our minds are these busy, whirling dervishes and being able to be still and... Or still enough. And or still enough and reflect and be with someone and listen. And as we are empaths, both of us are empaths, and we recognize that our friends and family members may come to us to ask, to seek support. And sometimes we feel as though it's not enough just to listen. You know, that we should have some words of wisdom or guidance or solution. But when we're talking about these big issues, Mm. they're not there. You know, there is not an immediate solution. There is not an immediate answer. It's time. It's healing. And that's why listening is so key. Yeah. I have a philosophy I was taught some years ago. And the philosophy is who out there can help this person? Now, let me explain that philosophy is the mindset I use to tell me to talk to myself. I'm not the one who can help. I'm not a professional. I'm not a doctor, et cetera, et cetera. But if I'm listening with that, telling myself who out there can help this person, it's kind of part humility and it's also kind of part wisdom, I guess. (laughs) you have to be smart enough to know that, you know, you're probably not the one that's going to be able to help this person. So that's kind of. That's powerful. And I, I would like you to maybe add something to that. If you don't mind, we talk to, you know, in our society, we talk about not to, but about men and expression and feelings. Women tend to be very open with how they feel. <laughs> and a lot of times men are a little bit more conservative. And some or some they just t- don't know how. Yeah. Yeah. And perhaps they don't know how. So yeah. what which advice, is not a fault. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say to you know to someone who's suffering right now who, you know, is not sure how to to even begin to express his feelings? Oh, that's a really good question. I I, I always say the first step is to admit it. It doesn't Mm. matter what you're talking about. In in my line of work, particularly my years in the military, it was a very intense existence and it very much depended on teamwork. And it was life or death a lot of the time. Meaning, here's the, the big lesson that what I would tell that person. Knowing your own limitations is the key. Saying what to your team, telling your team that you have a limitation is essential. It is absolutely required. And if that's all you can do is say, I don't know what I'm feeling right now. I'm a mess. That communicates. That gives your team the truth. And if that's all you can manage as a man or any person, it doesn't matter, men or women, that we all have challenges. We all suffer. But what would I tell that man who is struggling with all of this? Admit it to mm-hmm. your team you know they know who their team is and that all it takes the step one is to say admit your limitation that's where i was going with that we all have them right we really can't be our authentic selves and we really can't show up for others if we're not being honest with who we are and what we're capable of 
I think of it as if you want a good teammate, you have to be a good teammate. So part of that holding up your end of that obligation is to say, I am limited right now to know that you have a limitation, even if you can't pinpoint what it is to say, I, I, my feelings have control of me right now is enough to communicate to a teammate to say, okay, maybe he's operating at a degraded level. And that's now the situation I'm in instead of going, what the hell's wrong with you? And having it go in a, in a, conflicted way in starting a conflict rather than a, a solution that makes a team a stronger unit rather than weaker. Well, I could spend an hour chatting with you. You were a man of resilience, of hope. You are a mentor to so many, and I thank you for being a beacon of light, hope, and resilience. If anyone wanted to get in touch with you, is there a way to reach out? Um, I know we'll be sharing this information on our website, but I know people will want to reach out and will want to communicate with you. As of now, I don't have anything set up for that, but through you, I will definitely be available for that. And you, as you grow this, this venture, I think we'll be in touch. So yeah, I'm definitely willing to help to anybody who's hearing this or see something or heard something. Well, thank you. I want to thank you for truly being a positive influence in my life in some of the darkest times of my life. And I hope in some small way that I've been there for you as well. And thank you so much, Pete. Absolutely my privilege, Jody. Thank you. And yes, you have been that in a big way for me also. This is WCN, the Whole Care Network. You talk, we listen.